Hey, well, welcome, uh, everyone, to South Bay Community Church. It's good to have you here. We're continuing our series, uh, Outrageous Love. And uh, as Pastor Greg mentioned, I don't know if he mentioned this, but um, as part of our series, we're encouraging everybody to participate in an Outrageous Love project. So if you haven't done that already, still, if you can jump in somehow, you can jump in with the group out there in the lobby afterwards. But if you are involved in an Outrageous Love project, I want to encourage you to go to our Outrageous Love Project's Facebook page and tell us what your group is doing. And the rest of you can also go there just to check out what, what people are doing in our church, just to express and share love with uh, those in our community. You know, well, about a month ago, I kicked off this series. And among other things, we learned in that very first message that God gave Moses 613 commandments. Remember that? He gave, him 600, gave us 613 commandments. And we, I even showed you those all 613 commands in a 35-second video. Just, just flew right through it. So many, there were so many commands that the Jews actually had to have a whole uh, bevy of lawyers in order to tell them what they could and couldn't do. And then when Jesus showed up, 2,000 years ago, the religious leaders of the day wanted to know what he thought was the first and greatest commandment. And you remember what he said? He said, and I'll put it up here for you. And by the way, in your Baywatch, you have a sheet with the verses listed there for you. Also, uh, encourage you to open up your Bible. You can open up to John 13. That's where we're going to be today, John 13. But this is just by way of review. And also, you can also find these verses in the outline on our South Bay app. But in answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment, uh, the greatest commandment, Jesus replied in Matthew 22, put it up here for you, 37 through 39, that the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that? And, and when we examine this passage, we learn that he was basically uh, quoting the Torah or the Hebrew scriptures, uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. It all really came from there, and I highlighted those for you. Well, when we get to the end of Jesus' life, he ups the ante on love. He raises the bar on love. Let me tell you, this is where we're going to be today. I'm going to set the setting for you. It is the evening before his crucifixion. It is the evening before his crucifixion. This is it. He is about to die. And so, for one last time, he gathers his disciples in a place in Jerusalem that's referred to in the Gospel of Mark and Luke as the Upper Room. And according to historians, this is what the Upper Room, this is the, they, they claim that this is the Upper Room that they found in Jerusalem. This is what it looks like today. And here's an outside view of it. And so they gathered in this place. And when they gathered in this place, again, the night before his crucifixion, the first thing that Jesus did was to wash the disciples' feet. He washed their feet. You know, back then, everyone wore sandals. They didn't wear Skechers or Nikes. There were no sidewalks and streets. And so when you walked the streets of Jerusalem, your feet would get very dusty and very, very dirty. And it was, a, it was customary that when you arrived in, at someone's home, that the servant of the home would wash the feet of their guests because they would have these low-lying tables, and that's where they would recline, and that's when they would eat. And so when you're reclining, your feet are literally, literally up, and you don't want someone's dirty, dusty feet to be in your face. And so the first thing that they would do is wash your feet when you arrived. And so the disciples had arrived, and they were kind of standing around waiting for someone to wash their feet. And then in an act of stunning humility and outrageous love, Jesus took a pitcher of water, a towel, and a basin, and he washed the disciples' feet, all 12 of them, including the feet of the man Judas, who would betray him just moments later. And then after he was done, he said this, John 13, 34, and 35. This is where we're going to be today. Here's what he said to them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all, men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus gave us a new commandment. Will you circle new commandment? Now, the first thing I want to point out to you is the reason why he gave us the new commandment. The reason why he gave us the new commandment was so that everyone in the world would know that we were his disciples if we loved others as he loved them. So this was the defining characteristic. This would become the defining characteristic of a Christ follower, and that was to love. So what was this new commandment? 
Was this a brand new commandment? Was this now 614? We, Moses received 613. Now, was this number 614? Well, it tells us right here what the new commandment was. And it was to love one another. Well, wait a minute, you say. That sounds like the old commandment. That sounds like what we read earlier in Matthew 22. That sounds like what we read in the Torah and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Well, it does sound like that. So what was new about this commandment? What, was, what made it new? Well, what made it new was the very next phrase when Jesus said, love just as I have loved you. Will you underline that? Just as I have loved you. Love one another just as I have loved you. And what, we, what he gave us, what Jesus gave us right after he washed the disciples' feet was a brand new template for love, a new commandment that we are to love just as he loved us. You know, in his book, The Five Languages of Love, Dr. Gary Chapman uh, says that outlines and, and says that there are five emotional love languages, five ways that people communicate love. And I, and I, I looked at this, and I want to I share them with you. Here's what he said. He said, the first way that we convey love are through words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. In other words, these are the things that we say uh, that conveys love. Second, he said, we convey love. By the time we spend with others, quality time. We spend quality time with people, that's love. Third, we convey love. A third love language is receiving gifts. It's by the gifts that we give to others. Fourth, we convey love by our acts of service, the things that we do for others. And then fifth, he said that we convey love through physical touch, by our physical affection. And as I thought about this list, I, I thought about my own life, and I thought about my parents and, uh, and I, would, I was evaluating them, and I was thinking, you know, my mom's still alive, my dad's gone, but um, I thought about this, and I thought, well, hey, they were pretty good at number one, words of affirmation. Both my parents were always very affirming of me and my brother. They, they always told us how proud they were of us. They always encouraged us. They always, they always said things that made us believe that we could do anything. The one thing they never said in terms of words of affirmation, they never said, I love you. That was the only thing. All right, and so far as quality of time is concerned, number two, they're pretty good at that as well. Uh, we, we, spent a lot of, they, uh, we spent a lot of quality time together. We took trips together. My dad would play catch with me. He taught me how to, how, how to bowl. He also taught me how to punch somebody in the nose if, if, I ever, if somebody ever started to bully me or my brother. He really did. Uh, and they, number, they were pretty good at number three, too, receiving gifts. They were, they were very generous. They weren't rich. We were, we were, really, we were really a poor family, but they, but they really were very generous in, in what they gave to us. My dad would regularly give my mom jewelry. Uh, they gave us our first car. I got my first car. My brother got his first car. And I know they sacrificed a great deal to put us through school. school. And, then, and then number four, they were pretty good at number four, two acts of service. Uh, they were really good about that. My dad always helped my mom clean the house. He, he washed the dishes for her every night. Uh, he would iron my dress shirts. When I started working at the city hall, he would say, bring your dress shirts over and I'll, and I'll, wash, them for, and I'll, I'll wash and iron them for you. And he would, he would iron all my shirts. And, and then when I was at Pepperdine, every weekend, every Sunday, they would drive out to Malibu from Los Angeles, drive out to Malibu to bring me a home-cooked meal because they knew I couldn't stand the cafeteria food. <clears throat> so they were really good. With these first four, words of affirmation, spending quality time, uh, giving gifts and rendering acts of service. But the only thing they didn't excel at, the only thing they didn't excel at was physical touch. They weren't very touchy-feely. I didn't grow up receiving a lot of hugs and kisses from them. And as a result, I wasn't like that either. I mean, all throughout high school, I don't think I ever hugged any of my friends. That would have been weird to hug my high school friends. Today, I go out in the lobby and I see our high school students out there and they're all hugging each other. And I think, wow, I didn't do that when I was uh, in high school or in college. And, and I, ne I never told anybody that I love them. God forbid, I, that would be terrible. Like that would, they'd think I was weird to tell them that I, that I love them. I remember the first time, I remember the first time someone hugged me was my roommate, Keith Franklin at Pepperdine University. He was my roommate, and I remember we, I had just come back from a winter break, and when I got back from the winter break, hadn't seen uh, Keith for two weeks or so, and he saw me in the parking lot. My parents dropped me off. I, ha I had some, some uh, luggage and things to take back, and when he saw me, he yelled out my name, Shio, and he ran across the parking lot, grabbed me in a bear hug, twirled me around, and I'm thinking, oh, let me go. What? This is so weird. Why are you doing this? Like, put me down. 
And that was the first time. And I just thought that was so weird. And I thought, and he did it in front of my, my parents. And I was wondering what they thought. Well, it wasn't until several years later, after I, I became Christian in Pepperdine and began to grow in my faith, as I began to grow in my faith, I became more and more physically demonstrative and sharing, you know, uh, hugs with friends and, and even starting to tell them that I, that I love them. But the reason why I didn't initially tell people I loved them and why I didn't hug them is because it was never modeled for me. I didn't see it from my parents, and so I didn't do it myself. You see, I believe that we learn how to express love by watching others especially our parents. If you come from a family, parents, where they don't hug you or kiss you or, or express physical affection, you're probably not going to do that as well. If they don't say affirming things to you, you're probably not going to do that as well. And so um, how do we express love, right? How do we express love? Well, of these five langu- love languages, I would ask you, which ones are you good at? Which ones are you deficient at? The significance, the significance of Jesus' new commandment cannot be overstated because... In this new commandment, what he was saying was, I'm modeling love. I'm modeling love for you so that you will know how to love. And therefore, you were to love just like I loved. Just like I loved. And how did he love? Well, we know that he washed the disciples' feet. In fact, earlier up in the chapter, John 13, put it up here for you. Early up in the chapter, he said these very words. He said in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. There it is right there, right? I am your model. I am your example that you also should do just as I have done to you, right? Will you underline that part? You, you also should do just as I have done. We are to do what he did. We are to follow his example. He is showing us how to love. And this is how he loved. On the very next day, and of course he didn't stop at washing feet because on the very next day, He offered up his life as a sacrifice for the sins, for our sins and the sins of the world. Ephesians 5, 2, Paul wrote, and walk in love. There's that love thing again, right? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's how we're to love. This is a new commandment. And the new commandment, I believe, can be summed up in three words. We'll put it up here for you. Love like Jesus, right? This is it. Love, this is the new commandment. Love like Jesus. Think about that. Love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. I, to be honest with you, I don't much care for the new commandment. I'd rather stay with the old commandment because it's not easy to love like Jesus. And the reason it's not easy to love like Jesus is because people aren't easy to love. People are different. They're difficult people. And you, you know what I'm talking about because maybe you're one of them or maybe you live with someone who's difficult, you work with someone who's difficult, or you, you know a lot of difficult people. The other day, I came across an article that describes difficult people, and it goes like this. I'll put them up here for you. You might be a difficult person if you have to stand on your head to smile. You might be a difficult person if your parrot only knows swear words. You might be a difficult person if telemarketers hang up on you. Wow, if you can do that, you're difficult. You might be a difficult person if your Christmas mystery person gift at work is a muzzle. Gee, I wonder what they're telling me. You, know, uh, you might be a difficult person if someone keeps sending in your obituary to the paper. You might be a difficult person if you, found out that you find out that you were the center of attention at the parties that you were not invited to. And I like this one. You might be a difficult person if there is a collective groan when you walk into church. Like, oh, there he is. Like, oh, there she is. You might be a difficult person if there's a collective groan when you walk into your home. Oh, that's really sad, right? You might be a difficult person if the devil tells you to take it easy on people. Like, just chill, man. Like, if the devil tells you that, you know you're difficult, right? And you might be a difficult person if you think of your ex-spouses in groups of 10. There's 10 here, and there's 10 here, and there's 10 here. You know, I thought these were hilarious because there's some truth to this. and We can identify with this. Because there are difficult people, and difficult people are hard to love. But here's the thing. If, if we're really honest, we will admit that we are difficult. I'm difficult. I'm difficult, and I'm hard to love. You can ask my wife. You know, when she married me, she thought I was the complete package. Seriously, I mean, good-looking, sexy, 
strong, tender, smart, funny, positive, godly. The only part that was true in this complete package was the good-looking and sexy part. <laughs> but not the rest, right? Not the rest, because after a while, she found out what I was really like, and she found out that I could be very impatient and harsh and selfish and grumpy and withdrawn. And she found out that I was hard to love. You see, if you're single and in a relationship or single and you want to be in a relationship, I highly recommend, let me just go digress here for a second, just go off on a tangent. I highly recommend that before you ever ask that other person to marry you, before you ever say I do, make sure that you are fully aware of all those things in your significant other that are hard to love. Make sure you know what those things are because take my word for it, your significant other is not the complete package you think he or she is and neither are you. You're not. And there are things about the both of you that are difficult to love. And so before you marry someone, you want to know what the good, the bad, and the ugly are. You know, as one of my pastors, you met Pastor Matt Hannon. He was here uh, in September. He, he used to say, dating is meant to conceal, not to reveal. Isn't that true? When, you, when you're dating someone, you, like, you only want them to see the good part, right? Yeah, you put on the deodorant and the cologne and all that kind of stuff or the perfume. And you want to, you want to be really, really good. When you, you want to smell good and you want to look good. You don't look all scrubby and you don't, you know, go, go on a date when you haven't taken a shower for three days. You don't do that. You want to, so he's right. You know, dating is meant to conceal, not to reveal. Therefore, you want to date someone long enough so that you have all the revelation you need to have about that person. You know the bad, good, the bad, and the ugly. You know how difficult they are. And if you still love them when they're difficult, then marry them. But if difficult people are hard to love, then it begs this question, how do we love how can we love like Jesus? Well, if you, if you go from John 13, you flip over two chapters to John 15. So do that, John 15, 12. There's a parallel passage, almost identical to the one in John 13. And let me take a look at verse 12. It says this, John 15, 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, that's, that's almost the same as the other one in John 13. Well, it, it almost is. But what John 15 doesn't have is new, the word new. It doesn't say this is a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It says this is my commandment. So this new commandment is described by Jesus as my commandment. So my commandment is also the new commandment. So these passages, you put them side by side, are almost identical, except the word new is not present. Now what I want, what I think is significant, what I want you to notice about this verse is the context. Because that's what's important here, the context. And in order to understand the context, you've got to read the verses above it or the, and, the, and the verses below it. And when I read the verses above it, verse 9 and 10, here's what I noticed. Here's what it said. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Will you just underline abide in my love? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Will you just underline abide in my love? Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You can Underline, abide in his love. So three times in two verses, Jesus said, abide in my love. Now, we have established that Jesus loved us. He died on the cross for our sins. But what this passage clues us in on is the key to his love. How did he do it? Well, he loved by abiding. He loved by abiding in the Father's love. See that at the end of verse 10. He loved by abiding in his Father's love. And the word abide means to stay or to remain in. And so Jesus loved by abiding in or by maintaining a constant and vital union with his Father. That's how he loved. And the implication is that we need to do the same, that we cannot love without abiding in Jesus' love. We need to be in constant and vital union with him. We can't love without him. We can't love without his power. It is impossible to love because people are difficult. You can't love difficult people without God's help. In fact, in verse 5, here's another context verse. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Wow, that last part, you know. Apart from me you can do nothing. You should underline that. Apart from me you can't, you can't do anything. Jesus said, you can't do anything without him. You can't be fruitful in your life. You can't be loving in your life, love difficult people in your life without him. So think about the difficult people in your life. Who are the difficult people in your life? 
Maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it is your boss, or maybe it's a coworker always stabbing you in the back, or maybe it's a classmate or somebody in your small group. Maybe it's your neighbor or your mother or your father who is difficult. Maybe it's your brother or your sister. I know siblings are always fighting with one another. Maybe it's your uncle or your aunt. Maybe they are the ones that drive you crazy. So how do you love them? Well, the only way to love them is with God's help, right? So write this one down, love with Jesus. You need to love like Jesus, but then you need to love with Jesus because you can't love the people around you without his help. You need his help. See, the the moment you, you drift away from God, the moment you begin to drift away from him, you know what happens? Selfishness begins to creep in, right? The moment we become disconnected from God, we begin to want our own way. And, and, and our, our, our love begins to wax cold. And that's why I believe, for example, that the key to every successful marriage, and it's not just for marriage, but it's just, this is just my example. The key to every successful marriage is, that, is a husband and a wife who are, who are both vitally connected in union with God. That's the only way that a husband, it's the only way a marriage will work is if, uh, if, if both, the, both spouses are connected with God who rely on his power and rely on his grace every single day to love the other person, to forgive the other person, to be committed and faithful and loyal to the other person. Otherwise, you know, our humanness begins to creep in and you begin to say, I'm, I can't stand this person anymore. I'm done with this person. I am out of here. And we know that happens 50% of the time. We need Jesus' help. I know I need Jesus' help to love my wife she needs a triple portion of Jesus to love me. She really does, because I'm hard to love. And if you're having a hard time loving someone today, remember, you can't, do it, you can't love without him. So run to Jesus. Depend on Jesus and ask him to help you. So what are some practical ways we can love like Jesus? Let me give you some practical ways that we can love like Jesus. You know, several years ago, this special lady, Helen Sellers, uh, would attend our church all the way from Palm Desert, which is near Palm Springs, two hours away. She would come all the way from Palm Desert to attend our church. Well, one weekend, one day, she, she had to take her car in uh, to the dealer for, to get it serviced. And while she, was waiting, while she was waiting in the waiting room for her car to be finished, she struck up a conversation with an African-American lady. Her name was Jackie. And at the end of their little conversation, as they were waiting for their cars, maybe they were getting an oil change or whatever, I don't know, After the end of the conversation, Helen says to Jackie, can I pray for you? In her inimitable style, can I pray for you? And Jackie was like, floored. She she was like shocked. She couldn't believe it. Like, you want to pray for me? Like, here? He says, I would love to pray for you right now. And she's like, okay. And so right then and there, in the waiting room of this dealership, as they were waiting for their cars to be repaired, Helen prayed for Jackie. And after they both said amen, Jackie said, can I ask what church you go to? And she says, well, I go to South Bay Community Church. She says, I want to go to that church. I want to go to a church that produces people like you. And so Jackie, who lives in South Central, came to South Bay Community Church the very next weekend, and she's been here ever since. See, the first way that we can love like Jesus is by praying for people. Just, just pray for people, right? You can write that one down. I can love like Jesus by praying for others. You know, first thing that the apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Philippi, remember Philippi was one of those churches uh, in, in Greece. The first thing he said in that letter uh, was that he prayed for them. Take a look at Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul wrote, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then, and then he tells them the reason why he prayed for them. Verse seven, and it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. He held them in his heart. He loved them with all his heart, and that's why he prayed for them. You see, love compels us to pray for others. Love compels us to pray. Praying is one of the most loving things that you could ever do for anyone. Just pray for them. A couple years ago, I delivered a message here in which I I told you that you should never tell someone that you're going to pray for them. 
right? Don't do it. Don't ever tell anyone that you're going to pray for them. Don't tell them you're going to pray for them. Instead, pray for them, right? Don't say, I'll pray for you this way. No, no, no. Pray for them right then and there. We call it on-the-spot prayer. You pray for them immediately. Now, I get it that sometimes you're in a rush and you're flying out the door and you say, oh, Mark, I'll pray for you. Yeah, pray for me. I'll see you later. I got to go. I get that, right? But whenever possible, hey, Mark, I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray, right? And you pray for them right then and there, on-the-spot prayer, just like Helen did for Jackie. And it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You just stop for a moment and say, hey, can I pray for you? You'd be at Costco and say, you meet somebody, hey, can I just pray for you? I'd love to just pray for you. You're at a restaurant and, and the waitress is, you know, visibly upset about something. Hey, can I just pray for you? You don't even know what, maybe not even know what it's about, but just pray, praying for blessing and favor upon them. And, and if you know someone needs prayer and you can't be with them in person, and that happens a lot too, then text your prayer to them. Text it to them or private message your prayer to them. Or, or give them, pick up the phone and give them a call and pray for them over the phone. It's amazing what prayer will do. Not only will it move the hand of Almighty God, but prayer. I mean, when you're on the receiving end of prayer, you know what that's like, right? When somebody actually mentions your name, I lift up Gladys to you, right? I lift up Chris to you. I lift up Arturo to you. I mean, it it just, it makes your heart soar, right? And it inspires you. It ignites your soul. It gives you hope when you felt like there was no hope left. It gives you strength to persevere. It gives you a fresh new vision, I know that when I get together with folks to pray, you know, it's, it's so weird, right? This is so, this is so human of us. Now, I'm a pastor, but I'll be sitting in a group of some guys and we're going to pray, and I'm always looking for, and I pray for Gary. Oh, they're praying for me. This is good, right? We, we love hearing our names lifted up before the throne of Almighty God. And, and, and I feel inspired every time someone prays for me. Nothing is more encouraging than to be lifted up before Almighty God. You know, my dream is that we would become a church that loves to pray for people, where every single weekend people come, and right after service, hundreds of you are huddled up throughout the lobby uh, just praying for each other, on-the-spot prayer. In fact, today I want to challenge you. I want to leave you with this challenge. I want to challenge you before you leave here today. Go up to somebody, even if it's a stranger, and say, hey, how can I pray for you? I want to pray for you. Or, you know, you don't even need to, you don't even ask them what they need prayer for. Just go up to somebody and say, Corey, I want to pray for you right now. You know, do that. Nelson, I want to pray for you right now. Carolyn, I want to pray for you. You know, just ask God to bless your life this week. Do that. Wouldn't that be great if we go outside and you see huddles of people just on the spot prayer? And don't just do it today, this weekend, but do it every day. Do it all the time, no matter where you're at. Look for opportunities to pray for people. It's a great way to love like Jesus. Now, the other day, I came across a video uh, that was just messed up, right? And I want to show it to you. Um, take a look at this. Just 30 seconds long. It's really messed up. She took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal, and she took she it just from her. took it right from her. And that was oh, last that's Friday. Just beyond wrong. Oh, bless her heart. Oh, isn't that messed up? That was so messed up when I saw that that I asked Nicole to add some music to it. So take a look at this with music. Great. Oh man, she had to be Darth Vader's wife, right? Isn't that terrible? No, she had to, she had to be a Yankee fan. Probably was a Yankee fan. You know, that was so sad, right? That's that's just so messed up. The sad reality is we live in a world that is increasingly cruel. It is messed up, it is heartless, it is loveless, it is hateful, it is ruthless, and it is mean. Increasingly, and you know what I'm talking about, because you run into mean people. Every day, no matter where you're at, maybe you're one of them. Hopefully not. Now, I want to show you another video of a little angel fan. Take a look at this. This is so cool. Angel. He's an angel fan. Chop foul outside a third. Oh, isn't that nice? Somebody's made a friend. Isn't that... He was, yeah, 
He was wearing a blue shirt. I don't think it was a Dodger fan. He had to be an Angel fan. Oh, Dodger fans aren't that good, right? They're not that nice. But, but what? All right, all right, sorry, sorry. But what a great kid, right? What a great kid. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul said about this kid. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? That's kindness. And then Ephesians 4.32, Paul said, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, kindness is one of the ways that we can also be like Jesus and love like Jesus. He wants us to be kind to one another. Be kind to one another as, as opposed to being mean to one another. You can demonstrate kindness by your actions like that little boy. You know, this week, someone in our church uh, made us dinner. Uh, Barbara Lee made us dinner because she knew that Cheryl was in Uganda and she didn't want me and the kids to starve to death. She, I guess she was kind of worried that I'm, maybe I might not feed Kylie and Natalie. So she, she made some meat for us. And then, and then another couple, um, I was hanging out with them and they, they noticed that, that I had holes in my socks. And so they came, they, they gave me three pairs of socks this week, you know, like, and I, th- I thought, what, that's, they're so kind, right? They're so kind. So here's what I want you to write down. I can love like Jesus by being kind. We can, we can be kind to one another. And so I would ask you, how, how, are you kind? Are you nice? Or are you grumpy? Uh, you know, we can show, we can also express kindness by the words we speak. Not, and not only by the, by the words we speak, but the way we, by the way we speak them, our tone. Regarding the woman of noble character in Proverbs 31, uh, Proverbs 31, 26 says, we'll put up here for you, it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, right? Kindness is on her tongue. I mean, her words are sweet and, and she's nice. And the things that she says, it's, she's not harsh. She's not rough on the edges. And it's true, it doesn't apply just to women, it, it applies to men, Right, men, we're to be kind. Proverbs 19, verse 22 says, what is desired in a man is kindness. Isn't that good? What's desired in a man is kindness. Guys, we need to be kind. You know, when Garrett Sashare was the assistant coach, football coach at the University of Arizona, his son was a sixth grader. His name, son was, uh, his name, his name was Grant. He was a sixth grader in a brand new school. And, and Garrett Shasari would just, they would move him from school to school and finally got this job at the University of Arizona. And so his son was in a brand new school. So one day he asked him, hey, hey, hey Grant, how's school? How's it going, buddy? How's school? And he said, well, dad, it's, you know, uh, no one ever eats lunch with me. I'm, I always eat lunch by myself. And he just, of course, that just broke his son's heart. And he, he found out the reason was because they would, everyone would pick on him and tease him because he stuttered. He had a stuttering problem. So for his birthday, which was later on that month, Garrett decided that he, would just, he was going to go to Grant's school and have lunch with him. And he would take some of the football players with him because he thought that'd be really cool. He'd really like to see all these big football players come. And so uh, he asked, the, the big day came and where it was coming and then he, he asked a bunch of these guys to go and and they said, Coach, you know, we'd love to go, but you know, it's finals week. It's finals week and I can't, I can't go. And so they turned him down, and, and then he thought, you know, hey, man, I, I really got to take a, a football player with me. So he thought about one more player. He says, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll ask the, the quarterback. And he's the star of the team, and he's probably the busiest one of them all. But um, this, this football player, he's really good. I mean, he's really good. Uh, in his junior year, Nick Foles threw more than 3,000 yards, over 3,000 yards and 20 uh, touchdowns. But Nick also had finals that week. But when he heard about Grant's story and what was going on with him, he said, I got to go. I know finals or no finals, I got to go. So the big day arrived, and this big, tall football player, six feet, six inches tall, Foles, walked into Grant's school. And, of course, the buzz spread real quickly all throughout the campus. Man, you know, hey, Nick Foles is here, Nick Foles. And all the teachers and all the administrators and some of the students, you know, wanted to get his autograph, and they're all just circled around him, inundating him with autograph requests and taking pictures and all that. And finally, he, Nick got to Grant, and he was in a room all by himself eating lunch. There was a teacher there. 
and he got and sat down with Grant, and Grant couldn't believe it. He's like, wow, Nick Foles, you know, the star quarterback there in Tucson, and everybody was in awe, and all throughout lunch, Nick kept getting, you know, asked requests for autographs, but Nick said, no, sorry, decline them all. He says, I, I want to spend time. I'm having lunch with Grant. And so the two of them, by the way, this is the picture that they took, and uh, here's, what, here's what Grant said about that day. Him coming to eat lunch with me actually taught me that no matter who you are, doing one nice thing for somebody can change their whole life. And it changed this kid's whole life. Well, recently, Nick, he's a little older now, I think he's 28, recently started taking some Bible classes online. And just the other day, three days ago, he announced that he wanted to become a pastor when his football career was over. Today, he will play the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback for the Eagles. And I will be cheering him on, right? And maybe when he's done with his football career, I'll reach out to him and say, hey, you want to come work for us? <laughs> like, <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? So are you kind? Are you nice? Or would the people around you say, you're kind of grumpy. We'll pay the Darth Vader, the Imperial March, when you, you come into the room, right? I hope that you'll think about that. I've been thinking about that a lot, and I know that I need to be a lot nicer than I am. You know, recently I heard about a man who took his dog to the vet, and took his dog to the vet, and he said, hey, hey doc, I, I want my dog's tail to be completely cut off. He's like, are you kidding? Why, why would you want your dog's tail to be completely cut off? And the man told him, he says, well, my mother-in-law is coming for a visit, and I don't want to give her the impression that any of us, including the dog, are happy to see her. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I thought that was hilarious. I, could, I laughed for five minutes last night. <laughs> you know, sadly, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Churches, if I can get serious for a second, please. <laughs> Churches can be like that too. Churches can be like that. Sometimes they communicate that they're not happy to see you. And they don't do it by putting a dog without a tail at the, at the front door. But they do it simply because their people aren't very friendly. And they're, very, and they're not very hospitable and they're not very welcoming, especially to strangers. You see, a third way that we can express love to one another is by just showing genuine Christian hospitality. Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2 says, let brotherly love continue. Again, there's that love word, right? Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. How does brotherly love continue? Well, brotherly love continues when we show hospitality to strangers. Will you circle that word hospitality? This is the Greek word philozenia. It's really interesting. It's a compound word, philozenia. Philo is the Greek word for love. It's one of the words for love, philos, you know, Philadelphia, uh, city of brotherly love. Philo is love. Xenia is the word stranger, and we hear that word a lot lately, xenophobia. Right? We, so you put the two together and you get philoxenia and, and it means to show friendliness or love to a stranger. That's what hospitality is. You show friendliness or love to a stranger. And why is this so important? Why is it so important that we show hospitality? Because you never know who you're showing hospitality to. It says you could be showing hospitality to an angel. And so we're to show hospitality. And I like what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. He said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right? Would you circle grumbling? Without grumbling. Show hospitality without grumbling. And, and once again, you see the connection with the word love in verse 8 and with what we're supposed to do. Show love, I mean, we, we show love by being humble or by being hospitable. And notice it says we're to do it without grumbling. This word grumbling is, means basically to, be, means to, complain, to complain. In other words, when it says show hospitality without grumbling, 
be the kind of person who likes to show hospitality and just do it and like it. Like it. You know, it's, it's the idea that if, if you're hospitality, you're showing hospitality to somebody and you put out all the food and then you put it all away. And then Donna shows up and says, you know, I'm sorry I missed it. I, I'm, I'm late, but you know, is there any cake? Right? And you go like, Donna, I just put all the food away. Right? That would be grumbling. Right? But would you do it without grumbling? You say, oh, Donna, I put it, let me get it for you. And then you go in the kitchen, you, you, get, you get more cake or you get more wontons or you get more whatever you're going to get and you just give it to her, right? Or, or maybe you're there and, and you're washing and Maribel has, washed, has finished washing all the dishes after we're all done here, puts it all away and, and then somebody comes in and says, Arturo comes in and says, hey, I found some more dishes. It's like, are you serious? I just finished washing all those dishes. You wash it. That would be grumbling, right? Showing hospitality with grumbling. But if you do it without it, it says, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Bring them over here. I'll wash them. I'll finish it all up. And that's how we're to show hospitality, without grumbling, liking it, loving it. So write that one down. Um, I can love like Jesus by being hospitable. Church, if, if there's one place in the world, if there's one place in the world where people ought to feel welcomed and loved, it's right here, right? It's right here in the church. I mean, they're not going to find this in a business. They're not going to find this in the government. They're not going to find this at school. If there's one place people ought to find love and feel welcomed, and, they're, and we're glad to see them, and we're happy to see them, it ought to be right here in the church. And um, it ought to be the people of God in the house of God showing hospitality to each other, and to strangers. But here's the problem. The problem is we get so busy, we get so busy talking to our own little group of friends, right? We're so busy talking to our own little group of friends that it's so easy to neglect and overlook somebody who's not talking to anybody. And that's not okay. It's not okay in our church. And so I want to encourage you, will you show hospitality? I beg you, show hospitality, Christian love, every single day to everyone around you. I mean, we're got, we, we got into the place where we're getting so big now that I don't know everybody here anymore, right? Church used to be, the church was this small, and I knew everybody. And, and you probably feel the same way, like, well, I don't know anybody here. Like, well, get to know people, right? Reach out and talk to people. You're going to love the people in this church because they're the best people in the world. But let's do it. I mean, and by the way, if I can just give a plug to the hospitality team, you know, every weekend they, they put out a great little spread of food of whatever you bring to them to put out. So if, we, if no one brings anything, that's what you'll have out there. And I want to encourage you, would you, if every one of you, once every six weeks, you just bring something. Maybe you make some tamales, or maybe you just go and get a package of Oreos. It doesn't matter what it is. Bring something. Bring a bag of chips, and we'll put it out there, and we can all enjoy it afterwards. I hope you'll consider doing that. And uh, you don't even need to sign up for it. But just consider helping every once in a while for any one of these three, whatever service you come to, just bring something and it'll be totally cool. Well, as you know, and, and by the way, did I tell you, I, you can write that one down, I can love like Jesus by being hospitable, right? That's your point. As you know, a lot of people have been sick lately with the flu. You know, it's really, it's been really bad. Right? And so, again, if you're sick today, don't, don't touch anyone. Don't shake anyone's hand. Just say, hey, I'm sick. Don't, okay, that's good. That's a loving thing to do. But people are, people are even dying from the flu. Now, put on your thinking caps for a second. If, if I happen to be a scientist or a doctor, imagine that I discovered the cure for flu. In fact, it's right here in this vial. Right? Imagine that I discovered the cure for flu, for the flu. And and it really works. And if you, if you drink this, what's in this vial, and I can make a lot of this stuff, if you just drink this, the moment you get the flu, if you drink this within, within six hours, you'll be completely healed. The chills, the fever, the aches, everything, the respiratory things that come, it'll all be gone. You'll be completely healed. That'd be amazing, right? But what would you think if I discovered the cure for the flu and I never told anyone about it. What, what would you think if I just decided to keep this under wraps 
and I'm not going to, this is just for me and my family, and I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I don't want to share it with anyone. I think you would think that I'm pretty selfish. And, and all these people who got sick, and many of them who are dying, and I kept it under wraps, that would be pretty horrible. Because people could have lived instead of died because of what I have. You know, every single day, tens of thousands of people die and they enter into a Christless eternity. And in fact, according to statistics, um, the World Health Organization, 150,000 people die every single day in the world. 150,000 people, imagine that, right? And most of them die without knowing Christ. And they go into a Christless attorney. And that's just a, a nice way of saying they go straight to hell because they don't know Christ. And they go to hell because people who are going to heaven didn't tell them that they could also go to heaven. That's the truth. They didn't tell them that they could be saved from their sins. They didn't tell them that, was a, that there was a cure for their sins. That God loved them so much that he gave us his one and only son to die on the cross for their sins, that by putting their faith in him, they could live forever. They could be forgiven of their sins and they could live forever. They could be healed. No one ever told them that. Instead, they just kept it under wraps. They just kept it quiet, maybe because they didn't want to rock the boat, maybe because dad's going to get upset, or maybe they're afraid to say anything, and so they didn't. Or maybe they were just indifferent, or maybe they just didn't love. You know, in Japan... Last year, approximately 1.3 million people died. There were 1.3 million deaths in Japan last year. And less than one half of 1%, 0.5%, less than 0.5% of those who died last year had a relationship with Jesus. Which means that out of the 1.3 million people who died last year, only 6,500 or so of them went to heaven. Only 6,500 of them went to heaven. We can, there it is right there. Right? And that means out of the 1.3 million people who died in Japan last year, approximately 1,293,500 of them went to hell because they didn't know Jesus. And that's not okay. And it's not like this just in Japan, but it's like this in every Muslim country in the world. It's like this all throughout Europe. It's, all throughout, like, it's like this all throughout South America and many African countries. People are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. That's what the Bible says. If you don't know Jesus, you will spend an eternity without him. And that's not okay. You see, the most loving thing that God ever did for us was that he gave us his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I believe that the most loving thing that we could ever do is to do what God did. And that's to tell others about Jesus. The most loving thing we could ever do is to tell somebody about Jesus. The most loving thing we could ever do is to show them the way to heaven so that they should not perish, go to hell, but have eternal life, go to heaven. You can write that one down. I can, I can love like Jesus by telling others about Jesus. So I submit that to keep the good news of Jesus under wraps and to keep it silent and to keep it to ourselves and to be indifferent about sharing our faith is not only horrible, it is the most unloving thing that we could ever do. So whatever you do, Church, don't be silent about your faith. Don't keep quiet. Even if you're afraid. I used to think about that for my parents. My dad would get, you know, like, I am not going to become a Christian. And I would be afraid to tell him. I was afraid to bring it up to him. But I thought, what am I afraid of? I'm more afraid that he will not die and not know Christ than that he will get mad at me. And so, in, you know, and again, you don't go in there and just shove it down someone's throat. You need to believe, right? In, in a loving and gentle way, as often as you can, you, you, you speak the truth to them. Don't be a stealth Christian. 
Tell others that God loves them. Tell your spouse that God loves them. Tell your children, tell your parents, pray for them. Tell strangers, tell your friends, be willing to go out in the world and tell others because it's not okay for one person to go to hell. So church, let's live like Jesus. And we can do it by praying for each other. We can do it by being kind to one another. We can do it by being hospitable and by sharing our faith with them. And it won't be easy. I know I'm not under any illusions. It won't be easy because people are difficult. People are difficult. So do it with Jesus. Abide in him. Depend on him. And if we love like Jesus, then the world will know that we are his disciples. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, so many things just raced through my head at a moment like this. Father, most of all, I am so in awe of you that you loved us the way that you did. He gave us your son. He died on a cross. He gave us his all. And God, the standard that, that you have set for us to love like Jesus loved, it is an impossible standard for us to meet. And I ask you to forgive me and I know that everyone, many in this room, probably everyone in this room needs your forgiveness as well because we can all think of people that we have failed to love in the way that you would want us to. I pray, God, that you would stir in my heart. I ask that you would stir in my heart and in the, the hearts of everyone here that we would begin to abide in you, Jesus, and be vitally connected to you and to our Father in such a way that you will give us the power and you will give us the strength and the wherewithal to love like Jesus loved. And do a work in our church, God. Do a work in your people here so that South Bay Community Church will be a place when people walk in, they will immediately sense the presence of God here because we love like you love. I pray that they would sense our kindness and our hospitality and our love of prayer. And I know, God, I know it won't be easy. I know that they're still difficult people. And God, if, if we're one of them and I confess that I'm one of them, Father, do work in me. Do work in us. Soften our hearts. Make us more kind. Make us less abrasive. Make us less selfish and more selfless so we can in every way exemplify your love. God, do work in us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us. And do something transforming, God. Help us to love outrageously like you loved us. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.